Hello, hello, this is Alex Burkett. You are listening to the Long Game Podcast. This episode is a part of our Kitchen Side series, where we pull back the curtain and show you the behind-the-scenes conversations, debates, strategies, and brainstorming sessions that we have at our agency. This episode, we brought on a very special friend of the pod, Tommy Walker, who runs the content studio. We needed an expert for this episode's topic, which is audience development, or how to build an audience with content marketing. In this episode, we get a little bit pedantic talking about what an audience actually means, and I propose a better, more grandiose alternative term, universe, which we'll talk about. We also cover the different layers, the escalating layers of audience members that you can attain and how these members differ from customers, audience versus community, and generally how to approach building an audience with content marketing. So without further ado, here is the Long Game Podcast. We're talking about audience building today. Um, how do you want to frame this conversation? Like, do we want to define? Because we're talking, we're all talking about it from the framework of like concept marketing, right? Like, an audience could be so many things, and it could include, you know, Netflix shows or like, like a musician could have an audience. But I feel like we should probably try to partition those out and just focus on the concept marketing side. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? No, yeah, I think that's a great idea. And yeah, that's that was a I think maybe before we jump into is like content could be like audio or video. It's more mm-hmm. like around content marketing for businesses rather than like Netflix or an artist. Right. Right. I, for sure. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. It's all, no, it's all the same. I mean, we're dealing with attention, right? Yeah. But, but isn't there is- a difference between like active consumers versus just a general audience, even inactive? <clears throat> no, I don't think so. Like, like, are you a fan of certain shows on Netflix or are you a fan of Netflix shows? <clears throat> no, I'm right. saying like the, if I'm a fan of a show, I think that's a yeah. different level of an audience number versus if I'm actively sitting on the couch, like consuming it at that point or like standing in front of a live musician. Like that audience is different mm. than just like I am a fan of this mm. musician generally at all times. Yeah. I don't know oh, if yeah. that so, translates to content and like reading it. Obviously, it's no, a different like setting. Saying I'm I'm like a page view on HubSpot's blog versus right. like in an interview if somebody's like, "Hey, what blogs do you like?" I'd be like, "Oh, I like HubSpot's right. blog." Like those. But I'm right, looking right. at it more from like the Netflix angle. I guess it applies, or like the musician angle. Just like to counter what Tommy's saying. Yeah, I guess yeah. this is. I guess this is us defining what an audience is. Like in, mm-hmm. in our case, yeah. is it just someone who who just browses your website really quickly or is it someone who engages with your content shares it and or how how would how would you define that tommy yeah so um i was just reminded yeah uh chris puts it in the chat here return traffic is the most important thing if you never get that return traffic you're never getting to that consideration point i've said that a ton and an audience in my mind it's a difference between if we're talking about using content as a currency right? This is the way I like to frame it in my mind. Um, It's the difference between uh, a buyer and a customer, right? A buyer buys from you once and they may never buy from you again. A customer Mm. in my mind is somebody who buys from you repeatedly. And then like a super customer is somebody who's like not only buying from you repeatedly, but then taking it a step further and like sharing your stuff on social and singing praises and 
So would a super customer be a member of your audience? I think I think a, a customer would be a member of your audience, and then your super customer um, is the person who's like willing to share your content and stuff like that, right? Like, uh, I'm I'm doing audience development for my own show right now, and there's definitely a difference between the people who participate in the chat and don't, or watch the replay or don't, yeah. or share on Twitter or don't. And it's like, how do Can we start someone, to develop these relationships? Can someone be a member of your audience that they haven't purchased from you before? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, this, this is this the way you're describing it, Tommy, it makes me think about my own behavior, because as a buyer, I might buy something from a company. I might buy coffee from a coffee delivery company and then I get their nurturing emails, of course. And I'm like, I'm just going to unsubscribe from, from all of this. But there are other products I buy. They send me multiple emails. And I'm like, yeah, I love these emails. Actually, I look forward to them, which I don't know how many people will say that about emails, but <laughs> I'm seeing these different levels of engagement. And there's somewhere I'm like, I don't want to buy your product now, maybe in the future, but send me more emails. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like so it's the not- difference between an audience and a fan. <laughs> mm. Yeah. That's what we're getting at. Like the fan is the person who like outside of the concert says, I fucking love Blink-182. And like the yeah. audience member is there and maybe they don't care for it. Maybe they're there with their boyfriend and like, they just, you know, don't really care, but they're counted as a page view. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think audience I is so stratified too. I think there's so many yeah. different forms of audience because even return traffic, while I think it's a better metric than just page views, you could still gamify that. It would be very difficult to do so. You could have two very, you know, clickbaity, you know, BS things and that person could be a return visitor. But then I think there's multiple layers. There's like, is somebody an email subscriber of yours? Well, that's a little harder to game, right? Like if somebody yeah. signs up for your email, but then maybe they sign up for your email and then they open two emails, right? Then they're a real, you know, then they're entering fan territory. And then right. like, I think it layers down farther and farther to the point where they're like a multiple time repeat customer. And that's like probably the, the, the most business, like valuable metric you could care about in your audience, so to speak. But I think it's all part of your audience in a way. So if there was like one, one signal on what would make someone an audience member would probably be purchase behavior or being a buyer. No. Well, if you had to like, because a page view is still in your audience. Yeah. I would say like there, there have been companies where I'm like, I I super evangelize them and I never paid for their products. Same. Right. Like, you know, it, it, what you're what you're an audience of isn't necessarily even the product; it's the brand, right? Itself, right? And so, is there a way to deduce and like an, what makes someone an audience member down to a single factor? Or does no, it? I don't does think it so. Depend I think on the you brand? have to define the type of audience member it is, whether mm-hmm. it's and what you care about for your brand, whether it's a repeat yeah. visitor on your blog, whether it's a. Uh, an email list subscriber or a marketing qualified lead or like, I think you have to like define those stages and like you have to f- define the discrete action that leads them to be considered that. But so I think it's, it's not it's a all... single definition. It's just dependent. Yeah. This I mean, is go ahead. Tom. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, it's, it's the cop-out answer of course, but like, no. And, and I, I mean that in the best way possible, right. Is it's, we as a community pay lip service to the phrase audience. I don't think this conversation is being had enough, right? Mm-hmm. As far as like, what is an audience member and what are the different levels of audience, right? Like, is that a buyer that's going to be highly dependent on the brand and personalized? Like I never bought HubSpot 
but I like the content mm -hmm. and I'll open up all of them. And I don't even use HubSpot as my lead generation, you know, the, the, the management of the lead stuff, but I like the content, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, you know, it's that distinction. I think we need to have that level of distinction. And Alex, you're being like super humble about this. You wrote like the most, the best article on audience I've ever read. So like the, uh, the one, we I, I just want to hear you or... rant on this for forever. <laughs> well, I think I went through the same thought process where like, I always get very um, uh, pedantic with regards to like these definitions. And I think mm -hmm. I did say like the escalating scale. Yeah. I'm looking at the article now, the escalating scale of audience engagement. So a conversion is the most proximal discrete action in a business sense. It's when, you know, a lead is generated, a e-commerce product is purchased and a micro conversion is that discrete event that precedes that. And I think you can map out like the hierarchy of audience engagement from those points. So like wherever your end conversion is, if that's like a lead or a demo in the B2B context, if that's a e-commerce conversion, if you're selling Chubby's shorts or Magic Spoon cereal, you can map that back to the marketing touch points that you're actually engaging in and then kind of define your audience based on those things. And there's like very distant audience members and there's very close and engaged audience members. So the way I did it, I actually created a graphic in this, um, this blog post where it's like, as you scale out to very like, like low engagement to very high, you've got like, seize your content on social. Like they may be aware of you. They see your stuff now and then, like you're posting on LinkedIn, you're posting on Twitter. They're like, oh, that guy seems smart. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there's nothing beyond that. And then they right. start to read your content and then they follow you in social. Like they're like, oh, this is somebody that I want. I want updates from. Then they subscribe to your email list and they're a regular reader. Then you're regularly engaging and commenting on your stuff. And finally, they're, they're an evangelist. Like, you know, they're, they're telling other people or referring other people. And that's just an example. Um, that could look differently depending on your business, but that's that's how I defined audience in that article. What I what I love about that though, and we'll kind of take that back to like the consumer side of things, right? Is you could easily have that escalating relationship, like as a as a business, but also looking at you know as an audience member for Netflix, right? There are certain Netflix shows that I like. There are certain Netflix shows that I watch because of the director that's doing it. There are certain things that I watch because of the actor that's in it. And then there are people who I follow for their entire career. Or I might go when they have a, uh, you know, audio, uh, autographing session, right? Certain people buy Stephen King books because it's Stephen King, not because they even know what the premise is, right? So that escalating scale, I think, applies across the board, no matter what the format is. Just how we apply that and put that framework up is like... Yeah, I mean, you guys already know, I think in terms of film and TV anyways, but like, it's the same, it's the same concept, I think. Tommy, you, you mentioned you were doing some audience development. Yeah. One, I'm curious about your process and how you're doing that. And two, like, what are the different types of audiences you're finding as, as you do that? Yeah. So um, for anybody who's listening, uh, who doesn't know what I'm doing right now, the show is The Cutting Room and we do live edits with uh, industry-leading content marketers. And the show itself was designed, I did the show the way it was because I didn't want to have another talking head type podcast show. No offense to those. Um, <laughs> it, it, see, I like Kitchen Table Talk. This is why we've been on this a couple of times now too, is like, it's not one-to-one. -one. I like that there's like a dialogue here. Um, so there's like that, but like, 
I wanted to do it because I wanted to have these types of conversations with people who you wouldn't normally have access to. But then the other part of that is have a unique premise where it's, we do these live edits. We'll take an audience member's article and we edit it live on the stream. And because the premise is unique, it's one of those things where it's very easy to sell to the audience that I know I want to go after, which is mid-career content marketers who don't have another place to really get grab new information because this is this stuff isn't really super accessible. Um, going about developing that audience, the initial part is just me going to the handful of people that I know who are like, hey, what do you think of this? This is a cool idea. Right. Initially, when I was starting up the content studio, I did a lot of conversations with marketers on LinkedIn. I, I prospected, right, and found that core group of people where it's like, you know, people from Grammarly and Yelp and, you know, I uh, LinkedIn, right, just sent out a bunch of like spams, really. Um, but was like, hey, I think, you know, I like what you're doing. Here's what I'm up to. Here's my background. Just want to set up a, you know, 10 minute coffee conversation with you to learn what those topics were. And then from that come up, like the things that people are talking about or don't have access to or whatever, and then create a premise based on that. And then have that core group of people that I've seeded it to, and then build in the mechanisms afterwards where people are willing to share. And then because we have that core group, it's you, it starts to blossom out. So like, that's at least the way that I'm approaching it with this particular audience is like finding that core group, doing the hard work of like pounding the pavement, getting that core group, and then uh, letting that blossom out. Now, I don't think I've ever talked about this before, but when I was in college, I was actually a canvasser for um, Emerald Lagasse. I was a production assistant on Emerald Live. And it's very similar, like you're handing out flyers. You're standing out in front of Chelsea Market. You're handing out flyers to people saying, hey, come on the show. And the right people start going in there. They see the show, they like it. And then we tell them when they're taping episode or when their episode's going to air. And then they're going to share it with people because, hey, I was there live. Why not? Right. Similar type of approach. I don't know if I actually answered your question at all, David, or if I'm just kind of. Yeah, you, you, mentioned you're doing, you mentioned you're doing some audience development and mm -hmm. finding, yeah, an attendee who just watches is different from an attendee who messages in the chat and things like that so curious yeah. how like what different types of audiences you're finding in in that sort of research after you've done a couple of these these uh cutting room sessions now yeah um so it's it's interesting it's it's i don't know if there's like a formalized process for this because it's a lot of just one-on-one -on -one conversations that i'm having with people on twitter and you know, I'm grabbing these email addresses from the show afterwards and I'm, you know, emailing people out. I'm starting these conversations with the email list, um, new faces that I'm seeing. I do the same type of outreach. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the show. I've already, you know, some of you guys are already on the list, but I haven't reached out because we already know each other. But, um, but it's just setting up these conversations and learning and, and having those dialogues with people. Um, and then, you know, the people who are willing to do it and have those conversations, cool. We put them in a, in a, in a, in a bucket and then we start kind of separating all that out. And as we get newer people coming in, those interactions that we're having, we start to find from there the different levels of engagement 
with the content itself um, afterwards. And ideally, we're just trying to nurture those relationships with those people who are like right in the middle to then like bring them to that place where they want to go up to the top. If I, I have a handful of people who are in my Slack right now, like I'm a, I'm a one man company, right? But I have some people who are in my Slack who have bought products from me now. And we're just like having a dialogue on a regular basis. And they're asking me questions to ask the next guest. And, you know, it's, it's this like interactive experience now. And it's almost like, I don't like the phrase audience anymore because it kind of goes back from that broadcast mindset, especially when it comes to this type of stuff. And like audience, we, in like the film and TV world, you still, you get the creative development. You have like the round table discussions and the, the focus groups and whatnot. And then from those, the things get tweaked and, you know, repackaged and repurposed and put out there into the world. So that's how you're finding your audience, I think, overall. Right. And like developing that audience is just a lot of conversation. I think that I, answers that. I, I think I'm, it's been a very long day, guys. <laughs> so you, you said you don't like the word audience. What do you prefer? I mean, there's no other word for it. It is audience. Okay. Um, but the connotation for somebody who the, the connotations behind that between behind what audience development actually is versus what we mostly understand it to be are two very different things. Um, I think I hate it from too. Like the, I think I hate that word. Cause I, I yeah. think as we're talking about this, it's, it's to me, I'm having such a, tr like, hard time defining like because I, I keep thinking of this question like we're all business owners right like we're trying to like right. um we're, we're not trying to be famous for fame's sake right like we're, right. we're doing this for a purpose so i think the word audience kind of obfuscates any meaning from what we're trying to build right. yeah, I, I keep thinking, it almost like, feels like faceless right it feels well, faceless yeah. but like there's a difference between the audience that you're building for a youtube video that you create about like you know some unboxing experience versus the audience that you create from like um, a, a very handpicked event that you throw right. in person in New York City with like half your clients and half of your target clients, right? Mm -hmm. the, both of those could be audience, but those are so different in my mind that like using the same word for them, it doesn't do it justice. Mm -hmm. Well, here, here's the thing. And this just kind of brought this to mind is like, we're, when we say audience, we think about it from the con consumer perspective and not from the producer perspective right? Your producer is the one that's going out and finding the right people and making sure that the content is the thing that people are going to enjoy. Mm. And like, and, and finding those right people where you can start to place that particular content and then get that feedback. And from an audience perspective, if we're approaching this from, from an audience perspective, it is faceless, right? You're, you're creating the unboxing video and throwing it out there into the ether and saying, it's for my audience. You don't have an audience. You've never mm -hmm. developed an audience. You don't know who that audience is because you've never focused that. You've never done a focus group with it. You've never tested the concept before you put the gas, you know, or put your pedal, put the pedal onto the gas. There we go. <laughs> That's the phrase I'm looking for. That's the shit I'm interested in that you're talking about right there, which is like, we do a lot of uh, quote unquote audience building initiatives, including this, mm -hmm. the kitchen side series. We do podcast episodes with, inter you know, mm -hmm. interviewing guests. We do our office hours, which is, um, you know, experts giving presentations and that's sort of an email list lead type sign up. And then mm -hmm. we're doing YouTube stuff too. And I think 
we've answered the question with regards to our podcast because we get a lot of feedback informally during sales calls that it helps people make decisions. It makes them feel like you know we're part of the team when they hear us talking like this. But sometimes when I think about new initiatives, I think, how how do I this is such a long play. Like, how do I tell if this is actually valuable or if we're doing this for some sort of like, I don't know, Pyrrhic victory or like it's, if, if it's an ego thing, if we just want a lot of views, right? Like we could easily mm-hmm. go on TikTok and like, just get a bunch of views doing like, like inspirational videos about stoic philosophy or something like that. Right. But I guess, I guess like it all comes down to like, how, how are you building that feedback window fast enough where you're not just trying to get famous. You're trying to get right. rich, you know? <laughs> yeah, like that, the <laughs> difference between. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for me, what I'm doing with my show is, and I haven't done this in a little while, but I've been sending out um, surveys afterwards just to be like, hey, what did, what did you what did you think? Um, this, If there's anything I've learned from doing this particular show, though, recently, and like picking the brain of people who I never would have access to or like like get an hour of your time, right? You always want to, I mean, that's kind of the point of this too, right? You get the, mm-hmm. get those opinions from people like outside of your own bubble is that everybody has talked about finding those distribution channels first, right? Like Rand Fishkin put out this really great piece on the Spark Toro blog that was who will amplify this and why and thinking about the distribution before even creating the content. And it's like, that's kind of audience development in a way because you're sort of, thinking about who's going to distribute that. Mm. Right. I don't know if that's like a really janky segue there. It kind of feels like it is, but that whole idea of like, who am I creating this for? And like, can I put a tangible face to this? Can I show this to someone and say like, is this worth you putting it in front of the people who you've already sort of cultivated and taking advantage of those conversations that they've been having. Right. Cause we don't build audience by broadcasting. The, and I hate the thing people say where social media is social. It, but like, it's true. Right. Like yeah, you can't even get a book deal too. right now if you don't have a certain amount of Twitter followers. Yeah. So this point on um, uh, who, who will distribute it and why that to me, like, that the distributors are like an intermediary, right? Like you're hoping that they distribute it to your target customers. I mean, I, I mean, let me, I don't know if I have a great, like, let me kind of pull this back a second. When I was at QuickBooks, there was a team that focused on um, doing eBooks, right. And like research reports and studies and things like that. And, and this is, I think this kind of gets to the crux of the stuff I'm trying to talk about when it comes to the audience development side anyways, and certainly with the distribution side is um, they would blast out to, uh, they'd use a tool called Pitchbox and they'd send out, you know, uh, email to a bunch of different journalists within the sort of realm that they were trying to participate in with this, the audience that we were going after. And they would say, are you interested in this premise of a study? And what they would do is if they got a certain threshold of yeses, then they would go into production on the piece of content. If it didn't seem interesting to anybody who would distribute it, then they wouldn't do it. They were basically collecting like pre-orders for their content. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. 
Exactly. And it saved saved them, you know, for each research report that they were putting out there. Like if you're working with an agency, there's an agency I've worked with where it's like a hundred grand to get a fully designed research. And I mean, you guys, I mean, you know, how much is it going to cost you to do a research report? Like, so you're saving yourself that much more, saving yourself that much of a headache if you're going out and understanding who's going to distribute this stuff and leveraging the relationships and conversations that they've already built to then like amplify yourself. Right. Um, some of the stuff that I've been doing recently with like some of my client work is um, we, instead of going like, let's write blog posts and then hope that we're getting ranked. Right. Like let's do all the optimized stuff of the blog post. We're actually doing like partnerships first. We're doing co, you know, co-branded webinars and co-branded eBooks and like, you know, just making these partnerships with these different people who are adjacent to what we're doing to then build out that audience. And if you think about like, go back to consumer media for a second, I only know Nicki Minaj because she collaborated with Kanye West and Jay-Z initially on, on monster monster is a great song. It's a fantastic song. Right. But like most of your, your artists are like, especially in the hip hop world, are featured on somebody else's album. It's the guest blog of podcasters are doing that nowadays too, right? Well, and it's the same as like opening for like a headliner. Yeah, exactly. Ride the audience. There you go. Audience. (laughs) Exactly. So and that's and then from there are you like developing, you know, Hmm. getting into the audience development side? How are you constantly refining your messaging and like tweaking it to be a little bit better and a little bit better, you know? Consumer TV, I think, is an excellent example of this, um, where they do it well and they don't do it well. The first season of the show can always be really great. And then the second season might not be as good because they're taking it a little too far. Mm. Right. There's that whole part of the conversation, too. Or they're listening and taking like not losing their creative integrity and, and kind of finding that balance between what people want and what they want to do. Right. That's a whole different conversation but still yeah can i i want to wind this back and talk about blog content in particular and ali yes. i want to know if you have any thoughts on this because i'm a cold-hearted direct response marketer who only cares about dollar signs <laughs> tommy is a theatrically minded um you know narrative uh, focused storyteller but you when you're doing your work i feel like you're very focused on personas in the audience i know you always ask me for like editorial style guidelines before we put out a piece and you do all this research on like <laughs> the reader and like what they care about <laughs> so how do you um think about building an audience or like defining the audience that you're creating content for when you're actually writing blog posts and creating a plan like that could be thought leadership could be seo like do you have thoughts on that when you sit down to write a piece of content In regards of most of the work that we do, a lot of it is with conversions in mind, if not just, you know, high intent traffic. So considering that that segment of the audience we're targeting are potential buyers, potential customers, that's why I typically try to trace it back to the ICP um, or buyer personas established, at least by clients. I think that in that respect, it helps serve our our goal for that content project, which is to convert. Um, but I don't know. I, I haven't dabbled in in work that's not necessarily trying to sell in a while. So I think that's why that's basically my best practice for most of what I do 
is to look for like how, because that's like the point of what we're doing, right? That's a, well, at least in respect to the agency, I haven't had the freedom to kind of color outside those lines or I haven't done it myself in a while. Well, we, we do a lot of thought leadership as well with the agency, but it's and still we built the well, thought leadership program at HubSpot. I mean, that's not selling directly. That's sort of selling ideas, if you will. In that respect, I was still beholden to certain metrics so I always tried to honor the customer persona that was established for me, but I was also kind of a baby content marketer and I didn't really know what I didn't know at the time. But yeah, true. We have opened up a couple doors in recent projects. That's brand journalism for the sake of it. Uh, top of funnel building awareness, whereas we're not worried about selling out the gate with all those pieces. Um, so honestly, I didn't really look at the personas in that regard. I took a, I took a peek, you know, who is this brand even relevant to, to begin with, where we have a chance to build that trust and build that awareness. But I didn't go into the details of the customer personas because we also weren't trying to solve problems in that content. We were just trying to inspire, start conversations, engage. Um, so I do think when it comes to content, it's important to have an idea of like, who's your ideal reader, but kind of like we were talking about that escalating scale, like to what, level do you really have to dig into the customer persona with that content? If it's a matter of getting someone's attention, having them share on social, which I don't know if this matches perfectly with the scale we talked about earlier, um, starting conversations, getting someone to care about a topic, building that trust, saying like, oh, this company cares a lot about X. Um, this is an interesting news article I just saw. It's kind of just skimming the top, right? But if you're trying to solve problems, uh, convert for a sale, um, have someone pass content around internally at their company. So really solving problems at that level, uh, maybe you need to dig a little bit deeper into that customer persona. So what's what's fascinating to me here is this is the first time, to be honest, I've had this conversation about audience development as someone who's done marketing for like almost 10 years. And <laughs> I think the reason is in marketing, we're always talking about buyer personas, but it's never about like audience persona. Yeah. And I think we've established that those two, those might be two, two different, different things. things and one might fit into the umbrella of the other, which is the buyer maybe also being part of the audience, but audience is not always the, a buyer. And so I think the way personally I've been thinking about it is a little bit narrow of what content do we write for our buyer persona? But yeah. there's so much, there's a much larger universe of people who maybe they're not a buyer yet, maybe they will yeah. be in the future, but who's kind of that broader audience that we want to target and whether it's YouTube or, or TikTok or written content, like mm -hmm. I think it's being super clear when you're writing a piece of content, like, is this for the buyer or is this for someone we want to educate that's within our audience? It seems like yeah. that that's probably something that personally I could spend some more time uh, thinking well, about and communicating to. Like Tommy said, it's, it's different. It's a case by case basis for every company, every brand. Our agency, we obviously serve B2B SaaS, some e-commerce, different different people in different roles at the different companies are who we would call buyers or decision makers or whatever. But we also have a segment of our audience that's writers and content marketers that may or may not be interested in purchasing our agency services. But like Alex was saying, as business owners, we have a purpose. Like I care about that audience. I want to help them. If we make money from them, that's great. But I also just like 
care about educating them. I care about helping them not make mistakes that I made. And in that respect, like I would call them an audience member, maybe a member of our community, but not necessarily a buyer. So there could be a a process of building an audience persona where like the top level is maybe a readership or a community member or an audience member. And maybe you dig deeper and make that person a buyer. But then there could be a a whole other ballgame where you just have multiple different personas and it doesn't matter how hard you how hard you dig or how deep you dig, they're not going to be a buyer, right? They're just not a good fit, but you can still serve them in a way. But I think that's a case-by-case basis. I think what's interesting to, to jump in on that is that it's also the right media format for right. the product that you're trying to sell. Like Kitchen Table Talks might be really good for side mapping talks. to the course or kitchen side talks. Sorry guys. Um, <laughs> kitchen side talks. Come on, Tommy. <laughs> I'm awful. We'll edit that part out. Kitchen side. No, talks. We're keeping no, that, in. that in. <laughs> we're keeping that in. Damn it. No. So kitchen side talks is a great, uh, audience for the course, right? Cause you have an excellent, amazing course on content marketing and building out the programs. And it's absolutely incredible. It might not be as likely, and I don't know your business, like what it looks like, but it might not be as likely that this drives agency clients and managed services, right? It has. It's probably the opposite, actually. But not as... No, but you're you're right. It can go both ways. It's for a very clear purpose. I think a better example with this would be that we're probably... We've got a niche audience. Like there's not... We're probably not going to go mainstream on this um, unless we start interviewing... Neil Patel and above or something like that. Right. But like we are talking to the people who are typically in our target market for clients or people who, who um, our target market listens to. Right. So it it is more of a a catered sales tool in that way. Um, What we've identified actually, and I don't know why we didn't bring this up earlier, David and Allie is we have this grandiose term for what we're trying to do in terms of our marketing, which is we're, we're uh, building the omniverse. (laughs) So it's our omniscient (laughs) universe. And I think that's been that. our basically replacement for the word audience, actually, um, because there's multiple layers to it. And what we're trying to do is build gravitational poles. Um, so multiple different types of people can come into our orbit, so to speak. So we've got um, our general audience, which Ali was alluding to, which is people who follow us for content advice, maybe career advice. Our blog. Um, yeah. Looking to get a ladder up in the industry. We have our, our potential clients, which is obviously a very important part of this universe, which we hope to bring in via the podcast and multiple kind of like more mid funnel um, uh, areas. But then we've got like employee, we want to attract employees. We want to attract, um, you know, like there, there's multiple nodes to this, this universe system. So I, I don't know. I feel like we, we should have brought that up before because I actually think that that model speaks to me a lot more than the audience does because then we have very specific channels that we've mapped out for each of those purposes. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like most companies could benefit from looking at it in that way. Uh, Cause I think so many folks focus on buyer personas or ICPs or whatever you want to call them. And when it comes time to recruit or when it comes time to build up other 
audiences, it's all contingent on how powerful your like customer marketing is, which some companies are fine because their customer marketing is very well known. So HubSpot, like they don't have problems recruiting. They're very well known across the industry, but other companies, they don't really work on that like recruitment marketing audience or the employee audience. They don't really serve a general audience of just like, Hey, we care about you. We want to help you do X, Y, Z. Like everything's tied to like Alex said, uh, making money. He's the demand marketer, um, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I guess, you know, there's always other audiences at plays, other audiences at play, especially nowadays when brands are creating content across the board. You know, content is also a product. I think there can be like audiences in that respect, but maybe not every single person has to be tied to a potential sale. Um, and you can usually tell when folks, you know, everything is tethered back to that, which is fine. We're businesses, right? We're business owners, but. Nowadays, I think there's different audiences in, in the universe, in the omniverse. Part of me wants to just like say that if it were up to me, I would just write, you know, listicles and like basically have zero audience and just sell, <laughs> sell, 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 and then use my personal blog to write about my travel adventures or something like that. Like that's where I want my <laughs> well, this is human nature. Stuff to game. It is human nature. And I think that's where like that model is not actually right, is because you do need to like have some stuff that. Like what, what was that phrase they used to use at HubSpot? It was like win hearts and win minds. So it was like, they actually used it really poorly, I think. But it was like win minds was like all this how-to SEO content. And then the win hearts was the kind of thought leadership, like buzzworthy stuff that we talk about. So I don't know if that model totally maps, but like that is clearly effective in a business sense too. Especially with all of us, like we're selling, you know, ourselves and our expertise in a way. So it's like if we just wrote listicles. <laughs> I don't know if that would work that well. Mm-mm. Depends. I mean, are you trying to sell ad traffic? Yeah. Well, hey, that's what hey. we were, we started the conversation with, though. Actually, right. Tommy is like Netflix is. Well, they're selling subscriptions, so that's a little different. But a lot of the time, when we think about like a typical audience, what they're selling, what they're what they're gaining is attention, and they're selling that attention for ads. But they're mm-hmm. using very entertaining, kind of like emotional content to do that. So. I don't know. But that model's flipping. That model's almost flipped entirely on its head. I don't, I don't, I haven't watched cable in forever, right? Like, you know, and, yeah, and YouTube's ad run as well. I, well, that, that's kind of where I'm going with that, though, is like YouTube pushes their subscription because yeah. they've doubled down on their advertising to make it annoying. Four ads per five minute video. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And like my kids now are like, hey, can we get a YouTube premium subscription? I'm like, no. But they have done a great I, job. I wish, that, I, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like everybody's moving towards the subscription model. And what's interesting is that each, and we're, we've got these new, you know, Netflix isn't the only player in town. And you go into a brand conversation and a audience conversation. Disney Plus now is very different from Netflix. And Netflix is very different from Amazon Prime. And Amazon Prime is very different from Peacock, right? And they're starting to really do a great job at creating their original content for those audiences that they're trying to develop. Mm. And some of it's mm. based on that, but like, and they're all using their algorithms and their historical knowledge to develop new content. Netflix is scary yeah. with the level that they use of, um, they, I've, I've done like some really deep research on this, but Netflix is scary with how much of your engagement metrics and like demographic information and all of that to what they personalize and how like they, they can time to the second 
on what's going to be engaging for a show. Mm-hmm. I think they create right? shows with that data in mind too. I can't remember the exact oh, metrics yeah. that they use, but they found out that show, um, the political one, uh, Kevin House Spacey, of Cards. House, House of Cards. Of Cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was created or the initial idea was created. I'm going to get the data points wrong, but it was something about like some cross pollination between people who loved David Fincher and people yep. who loved like political dramas or something like that. So yep. they're like and Kevin right, Spacey and yeah. we're going to blend them all together and we're going to create this like just spliced up version of everything this this little cohort loves and we're going to serve it to them. And that's how they yep. created that. Yeah, so it's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when was the last time you actually saw an advertisement for a Netflix show? And said, I'm going to watch that versus watching it because Netflix told you you're going to want to watch this. Well, just comparing two different profiles like mine and my husband's, it's like two different subscription models. It's yeah. crazy. Like the shows on the homepage are completely different. And I'm like, I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> but on mine, yeah. I'm like, this is perfect for me. These all make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I use my wife's Netflix more because my kids started taking mine over. I don't watch <laughs> Naruto nearly as much as my Netflix would uh, indicate that I do. Um Tommy, what but yeah, no. About... No, go ahead. What I think, just to kind of keep going with that, going down that line, though, is what I think is interesting about all of these different companies that are coming out with this, and this is this maps, at least in my mind, it maps, is that they're all taking their approach to the content they're creating with different lenses on the data that they're getting from people. Hmm. Right. And they're mm-hmm. zeroing in on those audiences a lot more based on what they know, like how they're interpreting that data. So like, I've been really into the show Bel Air. Have you guys seen Bel Air? Mm-mm. It's a, it's the modern take on the Fresh Prince. Amazing oh, no show. Is yeah. it good? Um, it's really good. It's surprisingly I feel like it gone good. either way. Yeah, no, it's surprisingly good. I love the good. old one. And uh, they're taking the exact same premise of the old show, but then saying like, hey, here's what it's going to look like in a realistic world. But they're doing that based on what NBC has for all of their historical data on what's worked really well for their procedural dramas and everything else. So it's like, how can we start to incorporate that stuff? And they're finding very different audiences. Um, You know, you might now be a Netflix person or a prime person because at the end of the day, the content that they have is still content marketing because you're trading, you're, you're buying access to their content. Carissa, did I write that, that last one, the formula? <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> the formula, Carissa just popped into the chat with the formula for building an audience uh, is trust, which is a function of quality times repetition plus uniqueness. And I think that's actually pretty accurate because when you're that's talking about- smart. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about Disney Plus. It's like they have shows that nobody else has. So you have to have the uniqueness factor. Mm-hmm. And then like you have the consistency of quality plus like you do it multiple times. And that's like, oh, I'm in the audience now. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Alex just impressed <laughs> himself. <laughs> like, Holy shit. <laughs> I, I was going to segue and be like, yeah, maybe something actionable for the re- for the listener. Like, how how do they think about building an audience? And <laughs> just take that formula, I guess. That's really good timing. One thing that I did want to touch on before, though, and maybe this this is kind of related to that formula, but um, Carissa, you, you pointed out there was one thing early on about the difference between audience and a community. Um, I think mm. I maybe defined it in the article that an audience is when the creator talks at or to a group of people and community is when that group of people talks to each other. Or I guess with an audience, like it could be bi-directional with the creator to the audience too. But 
does that mesh with you? Do you think that that is fair? One thing that I'm thinking about is Tommy at CXL, like the blog felt like an audience to me, but um, mm-hmm. what Pep created with the conference, like it felt like a reunion or a community, like where we'd all go back and like know each other and like just tons of familiar faces. Yeah. So I, I guess like, where do you find the fault line is between like a community and an audience? As the facilitator of the conversation, I'm terrible with community. Like I'm, I'm the absolute worst at community. I think I'm, I do okay with audience building. I'm terrible at community. I don't have the consistency or uh, the mindset to foster those types of conversations. But what I think with CXL, they did a great job and why that community ended up working was that the community happened a lot in the comments section. And I think what happened with the content that was being produced was that at least when I was there and and kind of running the show on that side, it was always with the intention of baiting people into conversation, Mm. right? Like, let's talk about these unique things, go into trust. People trusted the the publication because uh, Pep really set everything up. We made sure that the quality and the repetition, we were always publishing Mm -hmm. on a consistent basis. And the uniqueness was how we framed the research that was out there. Well, that was new at the time, by the way. So with the research, just a real quick point on that. When CXL started writing like those long form, well-researched backed, like fucking 4,000 word posts, that wasn't the common way that people blog. So it's more common now, but it it wasn't at the time. So it was something that stood out. Well, CXL set a lot of standards in the marketing space because of that, Mm -hmm. right? Like, because I remember we put stuff out on Growth Hacker and Inbound at the time when those were actually like, you know, big deal ways to develop community or big deal communities. And it sort of spiraled out. Um, But I think what happened with that community was that a lot of the community was happening in the conversations and the comments. And then when it was time to start the conference, it was like, yes, a reunion, exactly what you said, Mm -hmm. because people already kind of knew each other through a mechanism that wasn't really designed for community, right? right? Comments aren't really designed for a sort of community, but people wanted to have those conversations with each other and exchange that knowledge because the conversation that we were starting with the blog was sparking stuff for people going like, yeah, I recognize that. And oh, you know, like a lot of back and forth. When there's I'm like terrible with community, sort of though. flag planted around the brand. So that's it's like this common interest that people who are maybe in that comment yeah. section had or on that email list. And then there was sort of a lingua franca too. There was sort of like inside jokes around, you know, yeah. like getting on which test one and stuff like that. So I think there was like, just, there was this semblance of like uniqueness among the community. <clears throat> Cause another example I'm thinking about is uh, Dave Gerhardt. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. he's got a huge audience and a lot of fans, but he's also clearly got a community. Like he's got yeah. paying subscribers that, you know, like congregate around his content and also this Facebook group that's super active. He posts yep. in it, but most of the time it's just other people who are just asking questions. So I don't know. Yep. There there does seem to be a fine line there, but how to build a community is something that's way over my head. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you've got the flip side of that too, Superpath, right? You guys are familiar with Superpath, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Superpath, great community. I don't know if I've ever read any of their, and sorry, Jimmy, um, I've read some of the reports and stuff that they put out, but like, am I really consuming the content? Am I an audience for mm. the content versus a am example. I a participant in the community? Right. Um, and they're, they're totally different strengths, but 
if you know how to tap a community, and this is kind of where we're getting into the development side of things, if you know how to tap a community, you can develop that content that creates audience Yes, because you're trying to tap into those existing audiences or communities to develop something that they're already going to be predisposed to like. I know you've got that's, a that's the button David, right there. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I think, yeah, to that point, like, I think the, to have an audience is crazy powerful. Like if you, if you position it the right way, as long as it's not like just generic content that doesn't have to do with your brand or products at all. But I feel like having a community is, is a moat, like a true, yeah. like if you've got a community that's like self, self-growing and like self-contained that's a true moat because you can you can tap them for ideas like you were saying you can promote your content there you can promote your products like i don't know yep that feels like the secret weapon yeah a lot of youtubers have that have a community in their comment section right yeah yeah that's true (laughs) a lot of the youtube shows that i watch have like inside jokes and shit it's it's pretty interesting Uh, i don't know how to wrap these up (laughs) <laughs> do you guys <laughs> do you guys know how to wrap these up? Carissa, help us. <laughs> TLDR, tap into communities to develop audiences and then use your audiences to develop communities. Constantly use the feedback loop to develop content that drives conversation that gets more people wanting to be a part of that conversation. Yes. That was a long sentence, Tommy. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a long day. That was a run on, Tommy. This is great. No, come on. This is it was a great wrap up. (laughs) Cool. I think we can (laughs) stop there. We'll stop there. (laughs) We're falling apart. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) 